0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I was asked a question by one of the youth, and I'm not going to say who it is. Because I don't want to embarrass them because they're here tonight. It was said in very quick passing uh, when we talked about something, and the question is very simple. It was is it hard to love science and serve God at the same time? What a fantastic question. Now, I think my response was, it can be. But for me personally, it's not. And I started to think about a lot of things that that encompasses and all the details and that, and it started to form into a little sermon. And from out of that, it formed into a teaching. And that's what I hope to do tonight, is to talk about a few things, put a few things on your mind and your heart, and have you think about them, take them with you, but ultimately the goal is to strengthen our relationship with God, the ultimate creator, the realization of everything that we have now in our lives, and that's what this is all about. So uh, I turned 45 this year, and like all 45-year-olds, I went through a midlife crisis. Uh, My midlife crisis was not uh, getting a sports car or hitting the gym, obviously. Uh, I got a chameleon. (laughs) That was my midlife crisis. Uh, of course, as a nerd, that's probably a pretty good guess. But I got this creature, right? And I thought, man, this thing is going to be amazing. I'm going to buy this thing. It's going to grow to full size. I'm going to walk around with it on my shoulder. You know, it's going to hand me things when I want it. I don't know. Very Disney. But I thought it was going to be a really cool pet. So we went out and bought this creature. And little to, to my surprise, little did I know, chameleons hate people. They absolutely do. They are solitary animals. And all the ones you see on YouTube of people holding it's because they have done extensive operant conditioning on them to make them think, okay, this person is a food source for me. They're okay. I'll let them touch me. Otherwise they hate people and they will even hiss at you. Did you guys know chameleons hiss? They hiss like cats. So if you get too close to them, they will actually hiss at you and try to bite you. And then on top of that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get this thing a cage. We'll throw in a stick and some leaves in there, right? Recreate its natural habitat and everything will be fine. No, I didn't realize that chameleons have to have a four foot tall cage, they have to have live plants, they have to have a misting system, a cooling system, a heating system. They have to have UV lights and heating lights in there and it has to be kept at 60 degrees at all times, 80% precipitation, or they have the possibility of getting sick and dying. I was like, man, what did I get myself into? But then one day, I was getting ready for work and I was sitting on the corner of the bed looking at this thing We have it in my room, my wife is amazing. (laughs) Sitting in the corner on a display, it's in there. And it's really cool, it looks like a little jungle and here's this tropical lizard in there, this chameleon. And I started to look at it and think, man, this thing's pretty amazing. It has two eyes that are capable of independent 360 ocular motion. So they can actually look at their prey while they're eating it, while the other eye is looking out for predators coming in all different directions. Amazing. They have this prehensile tail that can help them hold on to branches, so if they're eating something and they lose their grip, they'll stay hanging until they can readjust themselves. It's amazing. They can actually puff themselves up and then flatten themselves out like a sail to catch heat when they're cold, kind of like a big sunscreen that we would hold. That's amazing. And up until a few years ago, scientists used to think that chameleons had a chemical in their body that allowed them to change colors but actually we found out just a couple years ago that there's millions of tiny crystals underneath their skin and they can actually contort those crystals to defract the light to make you see different colors. Pretty cool. And then we always thought that chameleons could uh, change colors to hide or blend in, and yes, some of that is part of what they do, but they actually do it to communicate to other chameleons. You see these spots, I don't like you. Leave, <laughs> that's what they do. You see these stripes, I'm really mad. You see this color red, well you're not so bad, come on over. That's what chameleons do. Now there's two schools of thought when thinking this. The first school of thought is science is amazing. People outside of belief would say the millions of years of evolution that it took to get to this point where this self-sufficient creature can not only hide itself, sun itself, warm itself, feed itself, but it's all done through all of this intrinsic process of changing things until it finally realized what was best for us. Well, then there's me that said, man, God's amazing. Man, what God creates is unbelievable. Why on earth would he create a creature like this? It's not just to sit in some middle-aged man's home and provide him joy on occasion, but out there in nature. And then it brings into the whole question of, where does science and God relate to each other? And that is kind of where this lesson is coming from. I look around and I see a lot of youth here tonight, and you guys, this lesson's for you. Let's just be honest. Now, adults in here, parents in here, you are going to actually, absolutely take some stuff with you tonight that you can use, and please use it. But guys, you are in school right now, and you, like me, are going to get bombarded, right and left, with the theories of man. What they are, the theories of man. So I'm going to kind of read through my notes, and you guys kind of follow along with yours. And you're going to hit some points to write in. And if I'm sorry if I talk over them really quick, you'll be able to find them or hit me up afterwards, and I'll I'll fill you in on them. But we're going to get to the first part of this lesson. Why is this important? Why do we even have to talk about science and God? We are believers. We know God exists. We have our faith that God is fact and that he is living in our life, and he is powerful and strong, and he is offering us salvation, why should we care what scientists say? Well, let's go to the first one here. 1 Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be prepared with an answer not just for yourself, but for your children and those around you. It's important to establish foundation of your belief, rooting you like a tree that cannot be bent when the world throws its logic against you. It's important to, and here's a section of your notes here, these are our our four points here of why this is very important tonight, to establish who you are. It's important to establish who you are. Are you a firm believer in the foundations of Christ, Are you a firm believer that God is the sole creator of the universe around us or do you waver a little bit and if you do you're not alone there's lots of people out there that are Christians that say actually this whole naturalistic view makes a little bit of sense conversely there's a whole lot of people in the science world that say actually this intelligent design thing makes a little bit of sense so it goes back and forth But we search these scriptures, we understand what this means for to understand who we are. The next thing is what do you believe? Well, I know who I am, I'm a Christian. Do I believe that God created all of this? Do I believe He is the sole creator, the sole designer of everything around me? Or do I feel like maybe it's half and half? You know, there is the whole deism thought that's out there that God created the world and just kind of stepped back and said, let it go. And then it evolutionized over tens of thousands of hundreds to millions depending on who you talk about and then that crumbles into this whole thing of whether or not was God or was it evolution through it. What do you believe? The next point is to establish what your family believes. and That's an important thing. Mothers, fathers, again your children are being bombarded right now and as they climb the ladder in their education will continue to be on an even higher and deeper level as they go. Now, I remember science when I was in grade school. Science was, uh, you know, mixing things together to make oobleck, you know, right? That's what it was. Put some cornstarch in there, you got it. Throw some raisins in a jar with some Sprite and watch them float up and down. You know, that's science, oh, buoyancy, you know, science. But then as I turned into junior high, things got a little bit different. And when I got into high school, things got very different. I remember my biology teacher, Miss Burton, who just very, very clearly and succinctly said, those who believe creation is a theory are unintelligent. That was her statement. She said, they are Luddites that have not yet found the truth in evolution and the evolutionary process, but they will. I remember her saying that, I'm being very upset and asking her after class, you know, I'm a Christian believer, I believe in all of that, and her just very straightforward saying, well, you're wrong, you're wrong. The science is overwhelming and the famer of evolution the facts are overwhelming so for you to believe this is just your choice and it's not based on anything okay the next one here is to win souls for God so great for the first three you guys have that down I know who I am I'm a Christian I know what I believe that Christ that God is the creator of all of existence and my family is in order and they're strongly rooted but what if you were at a bus stop or a party or someplace where there's an unbeliever that's standing next to you and somebody asks you why do you believe in god and not evolution how are you going to explain that to this person how are you going to explain it do you say well i i have faith in my heart and i believe that god is a savior and somebody told me that and good to go or are you going to be able to present an argument that might for one second make them stop and think hey there is something to this whole creator thing so that's what we're focusing on tonight. First Timothy six twenty. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Now, of course, this could be knowledge of the Bible, but it could also be knowledge of the world around us. Look at this of Paul imploring Timothy right here. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. You have something that people need it's the truth. And not sharing that with people, not giving that with, to people, not letting others know what the path is that's set before them through a life with Christ is selfish. It's selfish. So in order to bring those unbelievers to God or believe those who are questioning on whether or not God is the creator or if this is an evolutionary process, we have to use what we have, our faith in God, our Bible, our fellowship with each other to make sure that we're bringing others to Christ. Our children are inundated with scientific theory being presented as fact in their schools. Science is no longer presented by a 65-year-old, unrelatable professor, but by a young, well-educated, and highly relatable educators that use the incorrect facts that they were once taught to teach a whole new generation. I had a professor last year, has a doctorate in behavioral science, had a two or three master's degrees in other things, covered from head to toe in tattoos, long hair, super long beard. This dude was awesome. He was awesome. And he would do these video chats, you know, and tell us about stuff, and he would go through it, and he would spout off science so quick and the behavioral stuff that I couldn't write it down so fast like, man, this guy is amazing. And cool, (laughs) completely relatable. This wasn't some stodgy old guy standing at a board. Okay, class, now today we're gonna talk about phylums. It wasn't like that. This was somebody that was relatable. He talked about how he loved to go to rock shows. He would use examples by making fun of Taylor Swift. Sorry, guys, for Taylor Swift fans, but that's what he would do. He was a rocker. But, (laughs) yes. But he, he, was, he was very relatable, and I could see everybody was very drawn into the class to him. In fact, he was so relatable, he was asked to be on a lot of national podcasts talking about behaviorism and things like that. That is who's teaching your children today. Oh, man, this guy who I kind of respect and is kind of cool is telling me that actually the facts show that there really wasn't a creator and that this is based on some type of spontaneous occurrence in there. Well, it kind of makes sense. We have to guard ourselves against that and guard our children against that by planning them in the faith. The earth's origin and evolution are no longer presented as theory, but as fact, and those that don't believe are publicly ridiculed in front of their peers. We must educate our children early to keep them strong in the faith. Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. I've seen stories online of people standing up in class and colleges and high schools, not even saying, you're wrong about evolution, but saying, hey, what about the theory that there is an intelligent designer in God? Is that going to be taught? And they're laughed and made fun of, and look at this person here, and humiliated for what they believe in. Now, when I was in junior high, or I guess it was grade school, it was taught as a theory. Evolution was taught as a theory, and creationism as a theory, and these are what scientists believe, and you could kind of make your own choice. But that whole option has been completely thrown out of the window now for your children. It is only one thing. It is evolution. That is it. It is a spontaneous formation of the universe and everything in it. But we're going to see in just a little bit with some science that even that is not believed by everyone within the community. In order to prepare our children and those looking to find life's answers, we must first understand what is the challenge and why is it a threat to our walk with God? What is the challenge here? We talked about the relatability of science already and how easy it is to get into your children. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but when I was a kid, when I'd come home from school, I would watch these uh, two shows every day on PBS. One was about math and I can't remember what it was called. But the second one was Bill Nye the Science Guy. Everybody says it, Bill Nye the Science Guy. And he was this quirky, lovable science guy that used a lot of sound effects and animations to teach us about things like volcanic eruptions and plate tectonics and all of these amazing things that we thought were so cool. And I loved it. It was one of my favorite shows. And it was really easy to pull me in. It was really easy to make me part of this community. And then when the episodes of Evolution came on, it was like, oh, I know what my mom tells me and I know what the Bible says but this is kind of a cool show and so now that man who was once my teacher is one of the biggest proponents of all the things that we stand against as Christians he is an atheist extreme he is anti-God anti-Christ anti-church in every facet he has been part of public debates where he stood there and spouted rhetoric against Christians calling them uneducated unintelligent uninformed and laughed This one who I thought was a teacher one day has now become one of my biggest, and I put in quotes, enemies for this. So that's happening right now. Does that make science bad? Does that make these people out there that want to disprove God and his existence bad? Well, let's look at our next section here. What is science? The definition from the Oxford dictionary, the intellectual intellectual, excuse me, and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Everybody get that? <laughs> that is what it is. A Little bit easier, simplified version. Knowledge about the natural world that is based on facts learned through experiments and observation. That is what science is. Science actually comes from a French word that comes from a Latin word, scientia, which means knowledge or full of knowledge on that. So it's very simple, that's what science is. It's understanding the world around us. So then the next question is, what is a scientist? A person who is studying or has expert knowledge of one or more of the natural or physical sciences. That's what a scientist is. Nowhere in these definitions does it say that science or scientists are a tool of the devil. A proprietary tool of atheists or unbelievers or expressly created to disprove God. However, over the centuries, science has been used against God and his followers portray God as a fantasy, a myth, or a coping mechanism for the uneducated masses. Now I'm taking that straight from somebody who I have a lot of respect for in the science part of him, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and absolutely disdain for (laughs) in the religious belief. And there, he believes that all Christians are uneducated Luddite buffoons, kind of like my teacher did in high school. And he's done wonderful things for astrophysics and the Hayden Planetarium is one of the best in the world where it's at, but he is absolutely spouting out propaganda to make sure that God is no longer in the equation when it comes to science. So where did this divide between science and God come from? Well, now that I've talked about some worldly scientists, i want to talk about some Christian scientists tonight so that we can kind of understand where things are for us as believers. Tom Ferguson, a PhD, and I did write that in uh, APA format for you guys who are in high school or in college, uh, there you go. He's a Christian scientist and a mathematician, and he posed the idea that the divide between the scientific world and the world of believers exists due to the abnormally rapid, listen to this, the abnormally rapid advances in technology over the last few centuries. We can do it all ourselves. We can fix everything ourselves. The masses are becoming convinced that all human ills can only be solved by applying the scientific method and on the surface, this seems to be correct. Conversely, many believers feel there is no need for science, and God is the only resource needed for life. However, the science and faith can coexist, for they are dealing with the different areas of the human experience. This is from a Christian scientist. Can they both live in a world together, or do you have to solely have one or the other? Now, his opinion, there is. There is a crossover between the two. There is a, uh, I'm trying to think, I think his last name is Heard. There's a belief out there, uh, this thing called NOMA. If you study anything into science or into um, uh, creationism or anything like that, you'll find this term NOMA. And NOMA means non-overlapping magisteria. And what that means is magistrates and magisteria back in Catholic times were uh, somebody who basically gave the laws, the moral laws. This is what we are gonna follow. So non-overlapping magisteria means science world makes their laws, God and his people make their laws, and never the two shall mix. That's what it means. It's a very popular theory, but it has completely divided science and Christians together to where they can't even be part of each other to some point. They are our bitter, mortal enemies locked together. Now, Tom Ferguson, this Christian scientist, believes that that is actually something that doesn't need to be. We can coexist together, and not only can we coexist together, but we can use one to understand the other. There's a concept. Can we use science to understand how amazing God is in his development? Well, I did when I looked at that chameleon. (laughs) Can we use God to understand science? That these concepts that they have no answers to has an answer over here? Has a creator over here that designed them? We can. But there's some facts and some fallacies when we put these things in play right here. And I'm going to go over a couple of these. The first fact Atheistic scientists have just as much faith as Christians and are true believers in their science. That is a fact. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody has as much faith as Christians. We all live and die by our love for God. Well, so do they. But they live and die for their man belief in science. They will stand firm and fight you to the death on this for what they believe in. And they solely believe it, even though their line of facts stops and comes into this void of, I don't know what happened here, they still have faith that something happened there to bring them to this point of evolution. That's faith. I don't know what it was. I can't answer it. I'm not sure. I think it might be this, this, or this, or it could be this, or it might be the two other theories that are to come out next year. But I have faith in that, and I will give my heart and soul to that. They have just as much faith as us. Here's another fact that probably get me smacked by my mama, but I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. You cannot absolutely prove or disprove God to someone. Whoa, no, 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 no. You can absolutely prove God. You can prove God and his creation all around him. You can prove God through the healing you see in people. You can prove God for the wonderful things that happen in your life. You can prove God of how he pulled you out of depression when you were in the worst time of your life. You can prove all that. Yes, you can to you. But when you're standing to someone who doesn't know God, they don't know it. In natural science, it's all about seeing, touching, observing. But for someone who's never known God, they can't do any of those things. So then you have to reach out to them from a different level. We're not talking about the natural physical world anymore. We are talking about the spiritual world something that is far more important than the natural and physical and when we do that when we talk to somebody who doesn't know we have to have a level of understanding and care and consideration that they may not have for us we have to understand where they're coming from even though they may hate and despise us we must show them the love and patience of Christ even though they are ready to smash us under their thumb because one that's what Christ would do and for two we win more souls through God by love than hate. Bottom line. Bottom line. So then we move to our next one here, and this actually is the, the the verse that goes along with this for us as believers. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made was not, vis- or excuse me, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. There it is for you right there. That is what we hang our hat on as Christians. Faith. Faith. Whereas our friends in the community hang their hat on fact until the facts run out, and then they hang on their own faith. That's what we're talking about here that's what we're talking about where these worlds can't cross over where these worlds can't collide but there is something that's a little bit different that maybe it's something we haven't considered there is a great deal of scientists out there that are believers they believe to God they pray to God every morning even Neil deGrasse Tyson I just told you about on a show said he believed out of the world about one out of every six scientists still pray to some sort of God every day one out of six That's quite a few. Look at these statistics here. Nearly one in 10 scientists in the U.S. and U.K. believe intelligent design. Well, four, I'm sorry, there's a little typo there. No, I got it right. One out of four scientists in India believe in intelligent design, and two-thirds of scientists in Turkey believe in God. More than half the scientists in India, Turkey, Italy, and Taiwan label themselves as slightly religious. So they still believe in the possibility of God or that God's working in their life to some level, even though they may have adapted a lot of scientific ideas that may not coincide with that. But there are people who are working to solve problems and issues, to come up with medicine and solution, to come up with new technologies, to come up with new innovations in the medical field that are praying to God today. If that doesn't make you feel good, then I don't know. It does to me. And it also tells me that these two don't have to be mutually exclusive from each other. They can work together. I'm very lucky to grow up with a man. His name was Aaron Greeley. I know him my whole life since I was a little kid. He was the goofiest kid you would ever meet. Weighed about 95 pounds his whole entire life. (laughs) And still does to this day almost. Um, Decided when he got old enough that he wanted to be a preacher. And then saw people in the congregation passing away and said, Actually, I think I want to be a doctor. He made a choice. And to this day, this very, very godly and very faithful man is one of the best doctors that I've known of. He actually held my uncle's hand, both figuratively and and literally, to his last breath, helping him through a very hard time in his life. Can you imagine being a Christian, lying in bed and looking over and knowing the man that is taking care of you is not only working with some of the best education known to man, but is standing under the banner of Christ and of God himself. And that is what's moving his hand. That's what we need. We don't shy away from science. We run to it and we change it. We don't shy away from science with our children. We put the roots in them and say, yes, this may be incorrect, but all of the stuff over here is life-changing and can bring other people to Christ. That's what we do. We don't fear textbooks. We fear the incorrect use of them. That's what we do. And in doing so, we create an entire new group of people are rooted in what's needed here to help us live and love and process and share with each other but they do it under the name of God and they use science as the tool that's it so let's go back to science as an ally for us perhaps there's no greater argument in science versus God debate than the evolution and the creation of the world Spontaneous existence is an idea that has not only been challenged by believers, but is also being rethought by many scientists. Some prevailing theories are life was created by an electric spark, one here, that life came from trapped microbes spewed out through the sea vents. And this is the popular new theory. This is the one that has been catching on, I would say probably for the last five years or so on that. it's called panspermia and what that is is basically they say that in on on mars there were single cell organisms and a piece of that meteorite broke off burned up through our atmosphere but you had just enough to smash into earth and then mix with another single cell organism creating life and that's how evolution started now it's gaining steam and a lot of people are going to this if that is true then you have to coincide that with everything that Darwin taught for that. Now there's a disagreement between the two. They agree that it wasn't God, but they don't agree with each other. And maybe it's more satisfying that it's not God to them, and they don't really care about the other facts. We just pick one or the other, we will jump on. But those are some of the theories that are going on right now. These ideas may seem ridiculous. They all revolve around the idea that life evolved into what it is today without being created by God. However, science does lend some arguments to prove that life came from none other than God himself. Now, uh, Richard Dawkins, I think he's been mentioned up here before. Uh, He is like the world's foremost uh, evolutionary biologist. He's kind of the modern-day Darwin, if you want to put it that way. Um, Absolutely has a stain for the church. But he wrote, The machine code of genes is very computer-like, and every experience we have with information points to intelligence. And this is true about the information in every living cell and every creature. So the omission by one of the world's most foremost evolutionists is that cells are designed with information. Yet every theory of how they are designed falls with the exception of one, that there was a designer himself. And that produced the information, and that designer was God. I'm going to show you guys a problem. Was 3 times Starlight Elementary School Science Fair winner. So I will hang my hat on that. This is a terrible drawing, but I want to hold it up for you guys to see. This is a cell. See, it says, Welcome to Cells, by presentation. I did my best. I apologize for trying to cut it and copy it on here. But this is what a cell looks like. It is actually a complete system that works together inside of a cell. Now, if you know atoms are the smallest, molecules are the next, molecules are inside of cells, that's where we're at. So this is third in line of smallest to biggest here. All right, so we have our cell cut open here. We have our nucleus here where DNA is stored, mitochondria is where all the energy comes from. Um, You have lysomes there that provide the food, um, endoplasmic reticulum that basically makes secretions that comes out, um, all of it floating around in cytoplasm. If any one of these things fail, it is completely catastrophic. And it ends, it ends. It was completely designed to work by our God in heaven. It was not happenstance of this works. No, it's okay, we'll stay alive until this works. No, 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 that's okay, we'll stay alive until this works. No, it all had to work at once or it doesn't work at all. Period. Period. That is science. That is science. Sorry if I scared some of you. really passionate about cells. All right, Charles Darwin, who was considered obviously the father of evolution, promoted the theory of natural selection. That states that genetics allow some life to survive better than others, resulting in the genes becoming more common than others, resulting in changes over a period of time, also known as natural selection. But Dr. Stephen Myers, and I'm gonna bring him up a couple times here. He is a Christian doctor. Dr. Stephen Myers. let me tell you what this man's done for his education. Holds degrees in physics, genealogy, history, and a doctor of philosophy and science from Cambridge University, okay? So is that enough? It's enough for me. All right, I'm gonna put it out there. He stated that biological systems are extremely complex systems, containing biological circuits, sophisticated motors, and signal transduction and cannot be reduced or they will fail. Proven here. Darwin's natural selection only preserves things that perform a function already. So natural selection cannot build these systems, they can only preserve them already. The question then becomes, who created them? And again, the answer is an intelligent designer, God. Very simple. Natural selection means, okay, this thing doesn't work, we're gonna preserve this, and it will slowly change, but it never builds upon itself. So it already had to take something that it existed for an order for it to survive. It already had to be there in full form for an order for it to survive. It completely gates Darwin's theory, completely. It's science. If those parts, those building blocks are taken, imagine I had six Legos and I take three off the top, those three Legos I have left are not a complete system. That's it. Not a complete system. And so Darwin's theory completely dries up with that. Because something had to be created first, and that was created by God in heaven. Guys, I'm sorry I'm getting science you tonight, but I promise it's coming to an end. Right. <laughs> in 1992, a historian of science, Frederick Burnham, said that God's hypothesis is now a more respectable hypothesis than it has ever been in the last hundred years. And he said, I go even further, more than being respectable, I'd say that God's hypothesis is forceful enough to warrant a verdict that he's alive and well. And the reason why is because people can't explain the little gaps that fall between signs. I know what happens if this cell splits. I know what happens if, if uh, this system fails over here, but I cannot explain where it came from. So maybe something designed it. And now you have these people that are working on this hybrid theory of evolution and creationism together and it's its mind-boggling. But they're at least questioning themselves. They're at least questioning themselves. And that opens their minds up for possibly the right word to come in. God is not an enemy of science. Scientists have made God their enemy. The Bible... Is not a scientific text. And I, I please, I want to stress that. I'm not trying to pr- prove God's existence by a scientific text through this. I don't need that. It's already been done in the Bible. It is complete. It is perfect. It is our textbook to life. God is alive, period. God allowed his inspired writers, though, to include some scientific concepts that still hold true to this day. This allows believers to know that God's word is true, some of it scientifically based. Look at some of these examples here. Isaiah 24, this is concerning King Hezekiah. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord the God David, um, sorry, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, and behold, I will heal thee. And on the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And going into verse seven, and Isaiah said, "Take a lump of figs and make it into a polstice. And they took it and laid it on his boils, and he recovered. Chemistry, there's medicine that's being used in that. But couldn't have Isaiah just said, hey, God said, you're healed, and that's it. No, God provided a tool to be used. He provided a tool, and Isaiah used it. Exodus 2, verse 3, we're talking about Miriam and Moses here. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him in a basket and made of bulrushes, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. To this day, bitumen and pitch, it's changed in the name, and I wish I would have wrote it down as far as chemicals are, but are completely waterproof, completely waterproof. rushes, when tied together, form into something that's almost like rope that can be weaved together and then covered with waterproofing, and that keeps poor little baby Moses from sinking, right? That was it. She used something that was science to us today but was just a function of common sense and using what tools God have already gave her at the time. It's amazing. 1 Timothy 5.23, don't drink only water. This is Paul to Timothy. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're so sick so often. Please, guys, I am not telling you to go out and get yourself a membership to a wine store. But what he was telling Timothy at the time was to take this because your stomach is sick all the time. It'll help settle you. It'll help you not feel as bad so you can continue your work and growth in the kingdom. He's telling him to use medicine. Matthew 9, 12. In response to the Pharisees' ridicule for eating with tax collectors, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not health, um, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Proverbs 6, 6-8. through Go to the ant, O slugger. Observe her ways to be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provision in the harvest. Natural world observation on there. Something amazing is God's creature, like a little ant teaching life lessons to us. And then, of course, we know Luke. Luke was a physician, gave his life to serving God and helping man. And he said, a beloved physician by Paul. We don't have to live a life that's void of science. What we do have to worry about is a life that's void of God. We can use what God has given us as tools in his natural world to make life better and not make life better to promote him. But we have to remember where it came from. These are just a few of a multitude of scientific scientific concepts that are used throughout the Bible. However, we must remember that both the natural and physical world are also creations of God. And science is man's attempt to understand and label the tools that God has already given us in an attempt to further ourselves beings this can be both a blessing and a curse understanding God on a deeper scientific level for instance how the weather affects our existence how our world changes how the animal kingdoms thrive how chemistry and biology coexist to help man thrive can help us see the amazing world our God has given us in specific detail we must take caution though presented in the wrong way this attempt to understand our world can remove God altogether from the process Of the natural world and create a new God simply referred to as science. That's it. There are steps that we must take to ensure that this doesn't happen to us. Make sure it happens doesn't happen to us, doesn't happen to our family, doesn't happen to our friends. Number one, plant your seed and water it daily. Colossians 2, 6-7 says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We know that verse very well here. Be rooted where you can't be pulled up. Educate your children on the word theory. That's an important one. Definition is a theory is a carefully thought-out explanation for observations of the natural world that has been constructed using the scientific method, and which brings together many facts and hypotheses. The scientific theory uses some facts, some hypotheses, and some—sorry, oh, I say that word wrong with the list—and some laws to generate a theory, but itself is not fact. I.e., evolution is based on some facts. There are some mixed in there, and many assumptions and several hypotheses, but still remains a theory that is constantly changing. Theory is not fact. Number three, learn like a Christian. There's a, I only included a few of these, I'm going to tell you a few more here, but there's a Christian science teacher, actually his job is to create curriculum for Christian schools to where he can still put science in there, but the caveat is to make sure that it's God-based and we understand what our position is as both believers in God and as scientists. This is what he said, I'm sorry, and his name is, have it here, John Hay. He said, the Christian teaching of science, bullet points, identify and experience God's unique calling for man to develop science and technology as cultural activities that honor God and his creation. Whoa, learn science to honor God, great concept. Learn to practice the essential characteristics of scientific investigation, including precision, meticulousness, uh, persistence, both in his scientific work and his personal life. Grow in their understanding of scripture. Wait a second, that's part of the science lesson that he's putting in these schools? Yeah. Understand what God says about all of this stuff. Become well-grounded in true science and develop their defenses against various distortions in the area of scientific study. Enhance their opportunities for both service and personal testimony in the community and demonstrate that Christian faith and scientific achievement are not mutually exclusive. Reinforce their faith in a reality of omnipotent creator. They will learn to reverence him and strive to emulate his character through obedient service to mankind. Wow, this is sounding far more like a Christian thing than a science thing. That's because they're not mutually exclusive. Acknowledge the limitations of science and reject scientism or the worship of science as the instrument for accomplishing the humanist millennium. Reject the phenomena of blind chance as the ordering principle in nature. Reject the belief that facts have no meaning until man gives them an interpretation. He acknowledges that God already knows every fact in the universe. Refute the materialistic theories of evolution as the explanation of the origin of life. Reject the theory of uniformatism that explains the various earth and cosmos forms in terms of the uniform process that have always existed. They weren't created, in other words. While deeply concerned about the environment and man's responsibility to it, opposes the pantheistic and materialistic overtones of environmentalism. That is what science and God look like together. Right there. And they coexist. Uh, I've thrown out a lot of facts at you guys tonight. <laughs> I apologize. I, I really feel strongly about this because I stand up to you in front of you guys today as a paradox in a lot of people's eyes. I was born and raised in the church. I was born uh, understanding who Jesus was from the time I was old enough to comprehend. Um, grew up in the church that my held, put my faith in God, and then at the same time got my degree in behavioral sciences. And became a disciple of Christ as a child and learned under the tutelage of the works of B.F. Skinner, a world-renowned behaviorist, but also an atheist. So where do I fall? Well, I won't say right in the middle, maybe a little more over here on this side. But firmly rooted in what God was and taking things from science that I can use as a Christian to make life better for everybody else behaviorism that I learned in school is very simple it's changing a person's environment to get out desirable results from them it works with children with ADHD autism spectrum disorder um, you name it there's uh, even adults that are dealing with challenging issues with depression and anxiety it helps with all of those things yes that's what I want let's take all that out take all that take all that out and use it over here but what I don't want to do is stand over here on this side say, oh yeah, I see where all the evidence is, I see where all the research is, it's very clinical, yeah, there's God, but I can see it and manipulate it and use it myself over there, because when I do that, I throw myself in a very dangerous situation that I don't want to be in. But if I'm rooted, I'm never going to take a step in that direction, never. We have to teach our children that, we have to teach them that. So when they're sitting in school, they may not want to raise their hand and say, Teacher, you're wrong because creationism is what happened, and we have a Lord that cares about us and designed everything. That's okay. But they are strong enough to say, I know that's not true in their head. Let's move on to the next subject. That's okay. That's what we want. In your conclusion here, the idea of science versus God has existed for centuries and will exist until the Lord returns Science is extremely important to advance medicine, technology, life-saving devices, communication, and even the furthering of the gospel to those who need it. Without physics, we never would have had smartphones to read our Bibles anywhere in the world, websites to promote the local church, and cameras to capture the work of God's people as they're doing them in the communities. Without medicine, we would see a greater number of believers die of cancer and other illness relinquish years of life that could be used to spread God's word. Without behavioral sciences, children with disabilities wouldn't have a chance to live high quality lives and find inspiration in helping others with like challenges. Science has never been an enemy of God, but the practitioners that use it to disprove an almighty Lord are the reason for driving a wedge between the two. We must always remember science is man's understanding of how God works within our world. And despite man's best efforts to explain what can only be seen and observed, everything points back to one intelligent creator, God. That's it. We can be both together. We can be both together. And my implorement to you guys tonight is that you would teach your children that same thing. Talk to them about school. What did you learn today? What are your teachers teaching you? How do you feel about that? How did it make you feel knowing that you might have thought the way that's different from the entire rest of your class? That's what we're talking about.